Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Doc Jen. And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and PT pearls to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions. Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in. All right, let's talk home equipment, things that really help benefit what you're trying to maximize and create within your body. Now, you know, we're all about not just sweating, not just getting in a good workout. Obviously, Dom, I love to feel those things 100%. And we're all about maximizing what you're actually creating within the body. Now, when Cobo Board was first presented to us, you know, at first I was kind of turned off because it was a little bit more presented as a way to build your butt. And I'm like, okay, that's cool and everything. But what are the actual benefits, you know, and, and why would I really use this? And at first, a little bit turned off. Then we had it in our home and we actually started using it. And what I noticed is that Dom and I would just start stepping on this on a daily basis. And and when you really actually do a full workout using it, you really feel the difference in that booty. And that was the amazing thing because, again, it's a home resistance setup. So it's not like it has a ton of weight, but based on how it puts your body, it really maximizes the effects that you feel. And you're not going to get into your back. You're not going to hurt your knees. Like It has the potential to really maximize what is happening around those hips to really effectively not only stretch, but strengthen and load the hips, load the booty, and then actually create to change and carry over so that you're not having those feelings like, I can't feel my glutes. They're asleep. They have amnesia, all whatever you might be making up about it grab something that's actually going to create effectiveness. And you know what? If you use it, I promise like 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, you're going to start to feel some really cool changes. So use code optimal and go check out the link in the show notes. Just grab this, have it in your home and just start to step on it and feel what can happen in your body. All right, going into this next podcast, we have Dr. Andy Galpin, and we're so excited because Andy is truly a wealth of knowledge. He knows so much about so much. <laughs> so already, just go check out his Instagram, go check out his YouTube. He has so much information out there. But today in particular, we're talking into fat loss. What does it mean? Everyone has a different idea out there in the world, especially on social media. So what is it that you really need to focus on if that is your goal? Because it's so important to feel empowered within our body with the education of what really works. And so that's what we're going to dive into with Andy a lot on the podcast. But just to give you a little background, he's a tenured professor at the Center of Sports Performance at Cal State University Fullerton, which is where I actually went to undergrad. And he has received his master's in degrees in human movement studies. And then he went on because he needed to know more about the muscle. And so Andy spent four years studying the structure and function of the human skeletal muscle at every single cell level, which earned him a PhD in human bioenergetics in 2002. And since then, he's written books, he's started podcasts. He's just been able to spread education in so many different ways. He's worked on professional teams. He's worked with professional athletes in terms of fighting and weightlifting. And he continues to learn, understand, and teach. And he's so good at being able to break down the knowledge that can seem very complex into a way that we, as normal humans, I will say, who may not have as much knowledge as him, can really absorb and take in. So I'm so excited for this interview. 
Thank you for being here, Andy. I, you know, as we talked about, there's so many crossovers. We've had Dr. Jason Park on the podcast. We've had Brand McKenzie. We've had Dr. Scott Lynn. And it's just so funny, all these crossovers and me going to Cal State Fullerton, where you are a professor, I think is just continues to like hit on the same pathway of where you're what you're teaching and where you're at, I think is is really cool. So first of all, just thank you for being here. Well, it's a pleasure. All those people have, you know, a pleasure to work with those gentlemen as well. And it's been fun to watch you blow up, dude. I mean, I remember looking years ago and seeing you had a hundred thousand followers or something. And I looked yesterday and I'm like, oh my God, she's going to get a million. So, so good on you. You're doing awesome stuff. And I send your stuff to athletes constantly that I work with. So it's been really helpful. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot to me. I think one of the coolest things is when once your name kept on coming up and Jen's like, oh, we have to have Andy on. We have to have, um, it was in like different topics and you have such this breadth of understanding about the human body, about physiology, um, in oxygen and respiration, but also in athletics, in how we access our metabolism, but also in diet. So I think we can get a really good kind of overall view from you on how someone at home can start to access their physiology a little bit differently and do so across a lot of different areas. I know that you had some experience training the female athlete. Could you speak a little bit about, and and you have trained a lot of female athletes kind of in your past. And before this, you said, I kind of indirectly have become this expert in, you know, the female athlete physiology. Can you talk a little bit into training with them and some of, say, the different types of training and why you might choose a HIIT workout with someone? Yes. Okay. First of all, I would never, ever call myself an expert, (laughs) certainly in physiology of females. Um, I've had to get success there, but not an expert by any means. Uh, What I can say is my approach to science uh, in education and with the athletes I work with is a little bit unique in that I just never thought the siloed approach is very successful. So you can go crazy trying to optimize your nutrition and you can go crazy trying to optimize your mindfulness and you can go crazy doing all these things and that might be helpful but if that's not the right button that needs to be pressed at that time you may not see the most impactful results so what i generally do with athletes is i look at as many factors as possible and is what i call their limiters right or their defenders and so they come to me and say i want to get x mm-hmm. and whether that's lose weight want to have more energy and you name the thing perform better so I don't just say, okay, you want to sl- you want to have more energy, therefore we need to get you in better shape, or you want to have more energy. You need. To- I don't know that that's true. So what I do is I look at the entire package and I try to identify well, what's defending you right now from that goal. And I use a honestly a crappy soccer analogy, right? I'm like literally, what's defending you from your goal? Get it? <laughs> See, that's that's it, what I was in class too. No, no one laughs. <laughs> but anyways, um, so what we do then is is I don't. I don't know any other way to do it than approaching it holistically, right? So let's identify, maybe it is as simple as you are overstressed and the weight will come off um, if you learn some down regulation. Mm-hmm. Other athletes I've worked with, that's not relevant at all. And so that would be a huge waste of time. And so I might need to get more drilled down on there um, that you need to do more physical work. And so we need to do more interval training or whatever. So that's globally my approach. And that's probably why you've heard me speak about so many different things is because I, I will use as many as I possibly can uh, or try to identify what is going to be the most impactful uh, and have the biggest change with the least amount of commitment. And I think that carries over to all of you listening at home because you're most likely not professional athletes. And so you don't have all day to you know do 50,000 things in the morning as a 
daily warm up and then get going. And like, there's just no way you can have that kind of a schedule. And so you have to be able to identify what are one or two or three things that I can do that will be the most efficient um, to optimize my system within my limitations. I mean, I'm a, I'm a parent to two young kids. So I, I fully get the fact that like that the idea of training two hours a day, six days a week is just so far gone. Um, oh, yeah. So I have to be very specific and strategic with the things that I do with myself and my personal health. Mm-hmm. So uh, I can get into as many details of any parts of that as you'd like, but that's, I, I guess, my first reaction to your comments about how I approach um, you know, my athletes and my career. I think we may have heard a little cameo by your little baby. Do I hear anyone screaming in oh the background? Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're no, it's cute. perfect. They were right on cue, right on cue. <laughs> sorry. One of them's gone. The other one's, he, oh, my son is 10 months old and he is... And I love this. I mean, this with all love, such a terror right now. Just <laughs> complete terror. He gets a bloody nose like every other day because he smashes something. Like he's just, he's a monster. So he probably hurt himself. I'm sorry. <laughs> Super cute. Um, I love that you approach things in it depends. I mean, that is, that makes a, a true expert in the field really because there's never one way there's never one best way for anything and i think that's what's it's it's what's hardest for listeners to absorb and be like well then what do i do but i think looking globally at that picture well do you need more down regulation and how can we start to get that like what are some ways that someone can just start to recognize like do i need to start with decreasing those cortisol levels in order to reach my goals first? Or do I, am I someone who just needs to kind of pick up more training and, and get more certain on my diet or on my exercise? Like, how do we start? Like, is there a kind of general rule that someone can look at right now? Yeah, I'll give you the system we use. So actually, I stole this from Kenny King, who I think you know. Right? Um, Kenny uses a four quadrant system. And this is the basic starter. So imagine you've got uh, 10 points to spend and you have four quadrants in your life. And you can change these if you want, but this is one we use. Uh, Quadrant one is your family and your relationships and everything like that. Quadrant two is your work. Quadrant three is your physical training. Quadrant four is your recovery. And so what we'll do, and this is, I do this with the professional athletes. It's the first thing I do. But you sit down and you say, okay, what's the time frame we're working with here? So four weeks, six months, like where are we trying to, how long do we have to make the changes that you're looking for? Let's say someone says six weeks. I want to see noticeable results in six weeks. Okay, great. Of those quadrants, where do you want to spend your 10 points? And if they say, okay, well, yeah, like I don't want to ignore my kids, so that's going to get three. Uh, But then I got to train harder, so that's going to get five. And then I got to, okay, I got to, all this work is killing me right now, so that's six. And it's like, oh, time out. You're already at 14. Mm -hmm. (laughs) back up and that you have to be have really candid conversations with okay you want to work out really hard and you want to grow your business and you want to spend time with your family oh and then recovery almost always gets zero mm-hmm. or one and we just know that's not sustainable it might work for four weeks or something like that but for average people that's it's not going to work at all because that to me that's your answer Jen. like that is a red flag of there's no down regulation here there's upregulation with work. There's stress with that. There's upregulation probably because you're doing intense training. That's up, 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 right? Family is now, you know, maybe some down, but not in the middle. But where's the, where's the actual time for physical recovery? So that would be a quick indication to me that you've got too much in that area. Um, and if the answer is, hey, look, I, I, yeah, I got to grow my business right now, et cetera, then we have to have honest conversations about saying, okay, either training needs to come down and we need to push more weight towards recovery. Or your family has to take a short 
stance right now. And that's fine. Sometimes that is, it sucks, but that's the honest answer. It's like, look, I gotta, I gotta get to work right now. Okay, fine. And every six weeks or whatever your frame is, we can reevaluate those numbers. But that is step number one is trying to figure out number one, what are your true priorities? And then how do we align ourselves? Um, and what I have them do is they write that on a sticky note or a, a flashcard and they have that in front of them and that's at their office or their computer. And then I have that as well. And so we do daily check-ins or weekly check-ins and it's saying, okay, you said that recovery was going to be three out of 10, but you haven't done this, 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 you haven't, whatever it's going to be meditated. You haven't gotten body work. You haven't done like all these things, whatever is going to fall in that category. You're not being honest and authentic with the fact because you're just going to work and then you're working out and then you're going back and then you're getting kids and you get to dinner. So your priorities are not lining up with your commitment. And so that would be our step number one from just a very high level of putting you in the right position of, of where you need to be in. Um, to follow that up with saying, okay, maybe you've chosen good numbers there and you feel balanced. How do you know if you need more of one or the other? Well, some common indicators are things like, are you hitting your goals? If you're not, then we need to change. Um, now, I want to be real careful with that and saying, if you don't hit a weight loss goal or something in three weeks, like that's not a realistic time frame. Mm -hmm. So you have to give it a realistic time frame. And if, are you consistent? And if you give it, in that case, I would say at least six weeks, and we're still not seeing really any change, then we may need to look at you know, are you two up, two down? Um, but we would start by asking the question of, okay, uh, in, in the fight, in the, with the athletes, we ask, how are you going to win this fight? And how are you going to lose this fight? For the general population, I would ask the same thing, but the fight is now a metaphor rather than an actual competition, which is how are you going to get this goal achieved? And what's going to stop you from getting this goal achieved? And from there, it's, if you're honest with those answers, it's pretty easy to tell whether someone does need more, you know, whatever, maybe it's a food issue, maybe it is, a stress issue. So that's how I would go about it. I mean, we can certainly talk details of getting like blood work and stuff testing, but even with the athletes I've dealt with, we don't typically have to even get that far because it's pretty easy to identify with just having honest conversations. Yeah. I find that people, once they actually start being a little more mindful and conscious of what they're doing, documenting it, talking it through with someone like we are our own best investigators and we can usually tease those things out pretty easily with people. We often just don't stop and think about them systematically like you just laid out and i think that would be a, a super valuable like drill for people to do just with those four quadrants right now um so i appreciate you bringing that up kind of one of the things you brought up is this fat loss example and i think it would be super important to talk into what really matters when we talk about fat loss too like some people might just think that i need to hop on and do cardio i think that's mm. <laughs> that's a big myth is like let's just go do an hour of cardio a day and that's going to help me lose fat and different diet myths on yeah the ways to lose fat so can you talk into that a little bit what's actually important sure if you want the full monty here you're welcome to pop over to my youtube i think i have like three hours of physiology of fat loss or something like that. Amazing. So if, if you want to really go crazy, you can. I'll give you the two-minute version here, though, and the, the practical application. So if we look at it at its most basic chemical level, fat loss is simply exhaling carbon. And so if you take a breath in, O2 or oxygen goes in. And if you take a breath out, then CO2 goes out. And so the difference between O2 and CO2 is, of course, carbon. And what most folks don't realize is your fat, fat on your stomach or wherever, is simply a long chain of carbon. And so by taking a breath out, you are literally exhaling fat. Um, so the food you eat is all chains of carbon. This is why we call them a carbohydrate. It's just a carbon that's been hydrated. 
which means it's a carbon attached to a water. Fat is the same thing, like I mentioned. So whether you're eating fat or you're eating carbohydrates, you're just eating chains of carbon. They go in your stomach, they go in your bloodstream, they either get used and then excreted as CO2 or they get stored. It doesn't really even particularly matter anything else besides that. So what do you have to do to make sure you lose fat? You simply have to exhale more carbon than you're inhaling. And all that means is you can call this calorie balance, calories in, calories out, if you'd like. Does that mean you have to count your calories? No. If you want to, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to either. Those things are not super relevant. Um, those are more systems. So if you can put yourself in a system that succeeds, that's what matters most. So I will typically break people down into two categories. I call them either uh, cooks or bakers. And if you know much about you know cooking and being a kitchen, baking is precise science. Mm -hmm. And cooking is not that. So if you are a baker, in my mind, you probably want to go on something like calorie counting. Have someone help you find the exact amount of fiber to eat throughout the day, meal timing, um, what, how much of, of protein to have, how many grams of carbohydrate, and I can give you numbers as samples if you want. Uh, but if you're a cook, then that's too much, and that's probably even going to drive anxiety, and you will probably quit and fail. And so the number one predictor of failing with a diet, uh, especially for fat loss, is the fact that you're just not in a system that's compatible with your personality. It doesn't matter that the system is totally correct or not. It matters more that it's incompatible with you. So if you're a chef or if you're a baker and you like precision and you like detail and you don't have enough of a detailed system and it's not regimented enough, that's going to drive anxiety and you're going to fail. If you're the cook, like I said earlier, if uh, you don't have, if you have too much detail, that does the same problem. So now step number one, put yourself in a system that's compatible with your lifestyle and how your brain likes to operate. Don't give yourself anxiety over the food or the exercise. It's, it's not going to work. We see this consistently in the research that long-term fat loss, so getting it off and keeping it off, is determined most by adherence. And what that means is, can you stick to it? And like I said earlier, can you be consistent? Mm. It doesn't matter anything else beyond that. So once you've identified those pieces, now all we have to do is put ourselves in a situation again where more carbon is going out than is coming in. So that is a combination of exercise and there is eating. But really, fat loss is probably 90% diet or more. And so finding a diet that makes you feel abundant rather than scarce is critical. So you don't want to be talking about how, you know, this is stuff I don't get to eat and this food is bad for me. Those systems don't work. What works better are things like, this food is amazing. I can't believe I get to eat all of this. And this is delicious. I love this kind of food. And you, so you feel abundant. You don't feel scarce. Um, so the calories still need to be appropriate, mm -hmm. but you got to be able to find yourself a system where you don't feel like you're, um, you know, like I said, scarce all the time because that will fail. Life will win and emotions like will take over eventually. The exercise portion is simply there to help you burn a little bit of calories, but you will never catch up exercise with your diet. And so you, you will only burn a few hundred calories during a typical workout. And that's gone in one bagel. So it's just, it's just really difficult to out-exercise uh, too many calories. So in terms of the type of exercise, all breathing is CO2 release. So it doesn't really even matter what type of exercise you do for fat loss. If you want long, sustained cardio, fine. If you hate that stuff, fine. Never do it. Doesn't matter. If you don't mind it, do a little bit of it. My system is, I think, if, if you're trying to optimize for fat loss, a little bit of strength work, 
a little bit of what we call hypertrophy work. So this is something, uh, I'll, I'll just back up and give you some numbers. So strength work is probably something like, you know, as heavy as you can with good position and, you know, progression and all that stuff. Don't jump in and do things that you haven't done in a long time, really, really heavy, but something in the, you know, 80% or higher of however much you can lift for three to five reps. Hypertrophy would be a little bit higher. So 60 to 70 to 80% at something like five to 20 reps. Anywhere in that window is totally fine. So if you do those two things, so it's a little bit of strength work, a little bit of hypertrophy work, and then you do something that requires your heart rate to get as high as possible. So this could be intervals, could be pushing a sled, could be a kettlebell workout, could be sprints up a hill, anything. I don't even care particularly about the time domain. So 10 seconds on, 30 seconds off, I don't care. <laughs> a one minute on, four minutes off. And those details don't really matter because all they are are different systems to help you get work done. So whatever system lets you do more work is going to be more important or most important for fat loss. And I realize now I'm like, 12 minutes into a two minute answer, but no, this is perfect. Yeah, this is great. really good. I'm sorry. Um, so outside of that maximum heart rate stuff, then something that does challenge your ability to sustain effort over time. And so if you want to call this your, your cardio, that's great. But those numbers to me mean at least 20 minutes. I think it is important for you to do something at minimum for 20 straight minutes. Um, that's where you're honestly going to burn the most calories. I, I love intervals. I love them much more than steady state cardio, but we don't want to forget Steady state does burn a tremendous amount of calories. So again, pick the mode that you like the most. If you hate running, don't ever run. You don't ever have to. Uh, cycle or like, go to a, you know any number of different classes that, that can do those things. So if you put those together in a system, say you have three days a week where you think you can work out, um, you could combine those things. So you could do a workout where you do a little bit of strength at the beginning and then finish some hypertrophy and then do 20 minutes on the uh, rower afterwards or you can do them as separate workouts so monday is my lifting day wednesday is my interval day um, that i run the you know I, I sprint the straightaways and walk the corners and i do a mile that way and then saturday mornings i'll go to a cardio kickboxing class or something when those open up again i guess if ever <laughs> um, that would be just fine those details honestly they don't matter a tremendous amount for most people what matters is can you be consistent and then progressively overload so as time goes on, try to work a little bit harder and harder and harder and have some variation and things. But if you do that and then you give it three months, you're going to be just fine. Um, so I'm happy to go back and give numbers on the macros and things like that uh, if you want. But the last number I will throw out at you is it is very clear for sustained fat loss, you don't want more than about a half a percent of your body weight lost per week. All right. So what that typically means is something in the neighborhood of a pound to maybe two pounds per week. If you lose five pounds this week and four pounds next week and six the next week, almost guaranteed you're binge dieting and that's not going to work. Um, mm -hmm. Both actually and physiologically, that's actually pretty bad. Unless you're very, very, very large, you know, 400 pounds or something like that. But for the vast majority of people, uh, you know, you can do the math yourself, figure out what 1% of your body weight is and, and shoot for that shoot for that per week, maybe even less. I think a half a percent is, is even better. And if you do that at the end of the year, you're going to be down 50 pounds. Yeah. You, th three months later, you'll be down 30 pounds and it won't even feel like shit. Like, <laughs> like you just feel like, wow, this sort of just happened. So that's, that's the problem. Um, crashing down too much. So those are my pieces on fat loss. That's amazing. Like that whole breakdown really, I think will help to create some clarity and, and draw people back to like, 
it's individual. One, it depends on your lifestyle, what you, it depends on what kind of cook or baker you are, you know, and like really identifying what works best for you. There's no one perfect way and allowing people to find what what do I like? Like what feels best in my body in terms of exercise and not telling people you have to do sprints, you have to do this. Like I think that that helps a lot because a lot of people do get deterred from exercise because, well, I don't like high intensity training and I don't like yeah, long that's runs. Hard. <laughs> and like I can tell you right now, and I know you can, when you've been up since four and you're, you know, had a really difficult decisions at work and you're growing, you, sometimes you don't want to come home at six o'clock and be like, okay, I got to go max heart rate here. Mm. Ugh. Like, yeah. sometimes you're like, you know what, I'd rather just like kind of chill and like maybe cycle easier for 20 minutes. And some, like, you can't always make that choice, right? Because at some point, like, you got to be mentally have to show some grit and, and get to work. But, but you got to be, um, I, I guess I'll, I'll put it this way. Uh, the model we typically use is something like 10%. And what I mean by that is about 10% of the time, you can go to that dark place with exercise. So if you're working out three times a week, over the course of a month, that's 12 workouts. So 12%, uh, 10% of 12 is one to two workouts a month where you can, you can go to that dark place and you can really, really, really get after it. Much more than that uh, tends to have diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. um, so does that mean your easy workouts, super easy, barely breaking a sweat for 10 workouts a month and then working out hard for two? No, you, you probably should work out hard for all of them, but you know what I mean? Like when yeah. I say like, there's those times when you just like, you, you get after it at most 10%. And then that seems to be a pretty good number. So that could be, you know, every other week where you like really let it fly. But, you know, outside of that, even, even with my professional athletes, that's what we do. We keep them down to that number. Um, the rest, it's moderate work. They're working, they're working hard, they're sweating a lot, but you know, they keep that top end. They don't, they don't let it blow out the gasket, you know, unless we tell them to, because if you do, you're going to run into problems and that takes an extra le level and layer of recovery that most people who are not professional athletes won't have access to or don't even realize they need. And so you need to be cautious of that stuff. Um, so I don't want to encourage people to underwork, right? I don't, don't, I don't want to think, oh, I'm going to get my goals just like walking easy and, you know, doing some stretching. Like, no, you got to put in some work and you got to get after it a little bit. But um, that part where you just, you know, like, again, um, the music goes to level 12 and then you just close your eyes and deal with the pain thing endlessly and you need an hour to recover that's good i actually think you should do that but you know 10 percent of the time i think that's a really important message because especially on social media what you can see is people <clears throat> kind of killing themselves all the time or showing their workout that they're not probably doing but it if you actually did it it'd be super hard and and really crash you so i think it's important for people to realize you know it's not an everyday thing and that's not going to help you reach your goals that could even deter you so i think that's such an important piece and on the other side of thing i keep hearing you bring up recovery and i keep hearing you kind of bring it up in the sense that people aren't getting it enough and the fact that you also brought up uh, fat loss as carbon in carbon out like that's to me, breath work. And when we should have 10% of the super intense stuff, that probably means we might need about a, have about 10% of less intense stuff where we might just be doing breath work and movement and mobility or positional stuff. I mean, I do breath work every morning. And if you do intense breath work, you're really pushing a lot of carbon out of the system. <laughs> yeah, you can certainly get some work done there. Uh, I will have every athlete I work with do some form of breath work uh, daily. It doesn't always happen, but that's that's the intended goal. Um, 
in the morning as well as pre-workout, post-workout, and um, at night. And the post-workout one to me is the most important because there have been a handful of studies now suggesting that those that can get into down regulation the fastest post-workout will actually have greater adaptations. Mm. So mm. imagine we all do the exact same workout and everything is the same. We are food and sleep and all that is the same. The one who can get into the down regulated state as quickly as possible after the workout will have greater gains um, from the exact same train. And so this is something that we, especially in my world, where they are literally fighting all day and they've got extreme pressure. Uh, so it's similar to running a business or, or whatever, you know, the pressure is extraordinarily high in these individuals because they're going to get into a ring, you know, and then their underwear in front of millions of people and, and physically hurt each other as much as they can. Um, we have to get them downregulated from one practice to the next as fast as possible. And then again at night. If not, they walk around just fried constantly. Mm -hmm. And so this is something we've actually started using at jiu-jitsu schools as well. Um, oh, you know, uh, you know the Crazy Academy. You know mm -hmm. him, those mm -hmm. guys, right? So, uh, you know, I, of course, work with Brian Ortega and, and those guys that bring it up with, with those individuals. It's like, all right, we can't go through an hour long jujitsu class where you're trying to literally strangle somebody or not get strangled yourself and then finish, stretch your hamstrings for 20 seconds and then go back to work or then go deal with your kids or try to get dinner ready. Um, you know, like you're you're going to be fried. Uh, that's not the optimal recovery. So can we spend four minutes down regulating? Number one, I feel like it's better for you than with your interactions afterwards. But again, performance-wise, it's shown uh, so far initially, you get more bang for your buck. So you get more results from the exact same work. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And are there specific types of breathwork practice that you do to, you know, do that first thing in the morning, before workout, after workout that really generate the results that you want to see? Yeah, absolutely. Everything we do is individualized. So we will measure CO2 tolerance. We will measure breath hold time. And we will sometimes take those every day. And so the cadence of inhale, hold, exhale, and hold is different for every person. And we will play with the types of breath work we do to find what actually does it. So an easy example of box breathing. So this is, imagine a box with four equal sides. And say you inhaled for four seconds, you held that for four seconds, you exhaled for four seconds, and you inhaled again for four seconds. So equal sides there. You could do that a five-second box, a two-second box, a 12-second box. It doesn't really matter. But that's a pretty common um, down-regulation pattern. So maybe we try that, and maybe the athlete, athlete one feels super relaxed and calm afterwards, and the other one actually feels nothing or feels hyped up, we will change it. And maybe we'll do cadence breathing. Maybe we'll do um, a, a, an apnea session. We'll do different things. And I would recommend if you want to check out Brian McKenzie's website, I think it's Shift uh, Adapt. And on there, he has videos going through these different things. And then he has a calculator you can use to figure out your own you know, patterns of inhale, exhale, and things like that based on your CO2 tolerance. And we actually just wrapped up a study in our lab looking at the relationship between CO2 tolerance and trait and state anxiety and VO2 max. So we can get into that if you'd like, but coming back to the initial point, uh, we will use a lot of things and we'll try them. Box breathing is, is kind of like our always starting point. And if 
I don't have a lot of data with that person, I'll just, you know, throw them into that. But um, a lot of the times, I'll, I'll, like it's, it's four minutes or less typically. And sometimes then it's as easy as like, just sit down and close your eyes and breathe through your nose only mm-hmm. and chill. Yeah. And like, I don't, I don't even give them any more cadence than that. Like sometimes that is enough and you'll just see them. I'll be like, all right, stay there for four minutes. And like 16 minutes later, you come back and I haven't moved. Mm-hmm. You're like, all right, like you probably needed that. And the rest of the gym's like fighting and still doing rounds or whatever and chugging their protein shakes. And they're just like, they're just dissolved. So yeah. and it can be as complicated or as simple as you want it to be. There are so many people doing work in this area that you can get really fancy or you can just close your eyes, close your mouth and lay down and chill for a few minutes. Do you recommend both of those down-regulating times uh, or same type of breath work pre and post? No, or do you oh, do oh, more yeah. of like no, an upregulated? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, don't do that and then get do a kickboxing fight because you'll get kicked in the face. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to your so, match all aloof. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, we do this either in the morning or pre-workout. And so I'll actually encourage uh, the athletes to, you know, take an actual pre-workout, whatever they are into. And then another session, don't take anything and then just do this. And it doesn't always have the same effect. But a lot of times we're like, whoa, I felt like actually pretty good by just doing the breathing thing. Mm. Like, okay, great. So upregulation breathing, again, there's a lot of ways to do it. And we will put the one in place that works the best for that person or that they enjoy. Or realistically, the one that they will actually do. So any hyperventilation stuff, um, uh, you know, Wim Hof has popularized his version of it. That's fine. I've done that plenty. Um, there's other ways to go about it, but yeah, what we'll do basically something that gets you very alert, very focused and, uh, really ready to go prior to your workout. And, and that's, it's pretty powerful. It, it works pretty well. So. Yeah. I think with both of those, it's so important to understand how you can access your breath. One, to get yourself ready for a workout or anytime you need to be alert. I love doing hyperventilatory practices, right? in the morning and then I do my little bit of movement and jump right into work because that's when I'm my most productive and I know I need to get after it. Um, I also really appreciated what you talked about, the down regulation. I mean, when people talk to me about stretching, I'm just like, ah, stretching isn't really the games. It's getting your brain to calm down once you're done. And yeah. Like people try to go and hammer away at their hamstring stretches for 10 minutes where, like you said, four minutes of breathing is a better stretch for every single muscle in your body (laughs) than anything else. And I think people don't quite realize that our breath can be that powerful before we thrust our brain back into the stress of everyday life. So, and you mentioned kind of a study you were doing having to do with this CO2 tolerance, um, dealing with anxiety, how we handle state anxiety and stuff like that. Can you talk a little more into that? Yeah, the we're in the middle. It's actually been sitting on the top of my to-do list. The paper is written. I just got to go through the submission process. So uh, hopefully that'll jump in the hopper as soon as I can stop doing podcasts and actually work. <laughs> um, no, we just wanted to take a look. I had a, a student very interested in, in the area. And performance-wise, I just wanted to see if CO2 tolerance related to the VO2 max. And uh, we didn't find a whole lot up there, but the connections between it and state and trade anxiety were, were pretty strong. So if you basically show up and you're CO2 tolerance, and what that means is the thing that drives you to want to ventilate or breathe, it's not a lack of oxygen. It's a buildup of CO2. So as you're sitting around and you feel like you got to <gasps> take a breath, it's because CO2 got hot. And as we talked about earlier, 
you use, you know, your fat and your carbohydrates are just chains of carbon. So when you break those chains, when you snap uh, an atomic bond, so chemicals put together, right? You break those bonds that gives off energy. You use that energy to, you know, contract your muscles, pump your blood. That's your cellular energy, right? That's ATP effect. But when you took two carbons that were attached together and you snapped the bond, you got energy, but one carbon is now left. Well, floating carbon in your body is not good. And so the oxygen effect, the only reason you inhale is to breathe in O2. That O2 will combine with that free floating carbon and now you have CO2. And so you exhale that, you know, that chain of fat or whatever as a CO2 molecule. So as you run more metabolism, so if you're sitting around and your metabolism is running higher than it should be, or just simply running, the amount of CO2 in your system builds up because you're breaking more of those carbon bonds. Well, if you're not increasing the amount of air you're, you're bringing in to match that, you see this slow, or it could be a fast rise in CO2 concentrations. That gives you a sense of alertness, uh, gives you what you know, I guess some would call anxiety, and makes you feel like you need to take a gasp of air or at least exhale. And so we see across the literature pretty clearly a connection between your ability to tolerate, and that's why we call it a CO2 tolerance, levels of CO2. And so some folks can have a certain level in their, in their body and they don't feel too anxious or stressed. They don't feel like they need to ventilate. They can sense what's going on, but they feel okay. Others get a little bit of it and they start to literally panic. And so those people would have a low tolerance to CO2. And so what we saw is that was, it's a pretty good test that you can do. And it takes, you know, two minutes or less to test your CO2 tolerance. And if it's particularly down for you one day, so say normally you're 60 seconds. So you can do it for a minute. And all of a sudden you test yourself today and it's 40. Well, more than likely, a little bit of stress is going to induce a psychological state. So a physiological phenomenon will make you more irritable or you'll make worse decisions or whatever the case may be. And these are, these are somewhat loose connections, but they are connections. Um, it's not a 100% thing. So if you can understand that then, what we see is your anxiety with your state and your traits, so meaning like your overall level of anxiety and your how much you're feeling like today, um, it is correlated to that CO2 tolerance. Again, it's not a 100% thing, not even close, but there's a relationship there. So the practical application of this is a couple of things. We will look at CO2 tolerance somewhat regularly. And if I see an athlete is consistently getting worse, so typically say they were 60, seconds and then it's now it leaked down to 55 and now it's and all of a sudden for a week straight it's 40. then we may say hey look you're fried mm. right now we, we got to back off because you're overventilating at rest and you're developing too much co2 and we're it's, it's kind of like a endogenous method of measuring hrv um, mm -hmm. if you're familiar with heart rate variability or other methods to train kind of overtraining or to assess overtraining and again i want to make sure i'm really clear here these are not a hundred percent causations. These are just moderate correlations. So right. there's something there, uh, but it's not the end all be all by, by any means. And it's not a hundred percent guarantee. It's not a one to one switch. Okay. Um, but useful nonetheless. The more important way I take this is, okay, say you wake up and you think you're fried and you do your CO2 tolerance test and it is down today. That doesn't necessarily mean you needed like, take, you know, not work out today or not go to work because you're a little bit, you have tremendous control over your autonomic nervous system, such that if you hop into some hyperventilation, or you 
you know, watch a Jocko Willink video, or you just like take a hot shower, or you just decide like I'm gonna knock it out today. It doesn't matter. I feel terrible today, but I'm gonna execute. I'm gonna perform. And I'm gonna get this shit done. Mm-hmm. We can see the CO two cha- tolerance change immediately. Mm. And so, I don't want people to take things like this and be like, "Oh man, my numbers are bad today. I'm overcooked." Yes, sometimes you are, but sometimes you need to just put some grit on it and get after it. And you can change your heart availability. You can change your CO two tolerance instantaneously by doing something. So it makes the system complicated because at some point you're like, "Gosh, when do I know when to back off, or when do I need to?" just like turn the music up for for a minute and like get my head on straight. It's just experience. And what I'd say is look for longer trends rather than a single day or a single moment. Like, do you notice consistently every Tuesday you feel like crap? Hmm. Or is it three, four, five days in a row? Or is it always after this exchange with somebody or whatever we have our Wednesday afternoon meeting, whatever it is. Um, then you have two options. Option one is to change that situation or scenario, or option two, like do something to change your CO2 tolerance pre or post, knowing that that's going to put you in a state of unnecessary anxiety or arousal. Yeah, I think that's so important to to just start to understand. And it's the same as kind of like wearing a watch that's going to tell you about your recovery, you know, and if we just take it day by day, and then, oh, I, I shouldn't work out today, or oh, I shouldn't, you know, it's like, no, it's just it's just extra feedback into our system to really see, you know, what our body body is tolerating, how well you slept. Same with measuring CO two. And so, if we start to take this on a more regular basis and and start to, and it's just feedback and awareness for the body and getting to know your own body is so incredibly powerful and something that we always encourage people because you're individual. There's no one way for anything, and mm-hmm. I love that. That's how you know. You're continuing to kind of probe people in that way, like explore it, get to know it yourself. And and we'll link up all the websites that you said, too, where people can kind of test their CO2 and really measure where they're at and start to get familiar with with breath in that way. Um, are there other and I know you drop a lot of education on YouTube on Instagram. Are there other places that you recommend people kind of finding out more information about you or what you're sharing? Yeah, sure. The one actually thing in common I want to make about that before we wrap that point is the mantra I will give to the athletes and my students is listen to yourself, but also talk to yourself. Mm. So I want you to do both Uh, a lot of, because you'll see extremes. Like let's imagine the, the overzealous person on the right hand side and they're always taking pre-workout, et cetera, et cetera. You know, this person I'm describing. They need to probably listen to their self a lot more. They need to listen to their body, right? They're probably completely out of touch. But then you see the opposite too. People go so far into listening to themselves that they forget that sometimes you do need to kick yourself in the ass and get going. So, and those persons need to talk to themselves. So don't let their body tell your mind how you're feeling. Use your mind to tell your body how it's feeling. Now, eventually, if both of these people meet in the middle somewhere, you'll start to see when it's like, okay, I told myself to get after today. And then it's just like, no. (laughs) <laughs> this wasn't going to happen. Okay, great. The opposite can happen too, right? So I, I think we need to play with both sides, listen to yourself and talk to yourself. And then eventually one of those is going to win out throughout the day. And then you'll start to, I think, understand yourself better once once both of those conversations are going on. And you'll figure out when it's more needed that the more talk is needed or when more listen mm. is needed. So, um, yeah. So to answer your question, the um, 
yeah, I mean, I guess Instagram and, and Twitter are the places where it's easiest for me to put out um, information. Um, and then the YouTube page. So I have what I call five, 25 and 55 minute physiology. And I cover everything basically that you would take as an undergraduate or graduate student in kinesiology or strength and conditioning. And so those are really meant, especially the 25 and 55 minute physiology. For example, I just put out about two and a half hours total of how to optimize your hydration, wow. how to test yourself, how to figure that out. Um, Cause folks are clearly dehydrated and some are overhydrated. Um, how to measure all that stuff, nutrition, um, how to plan macros, like w whatever strength training, how to organize a system together for different goals. I mean, I've got, I don't even know a couple hundred hours of different topics up there now, but the five minute ones are, are more straight to your answer. Um, the 25 minute ones are, here's your answer and here's kind of how it's working. And the 55 one minute ones are really for people who basically you want free college education. Yeah. Um, that that's, that's what it is. Uh, and honestly, that's, that was the driving goal of building that thing is, um, I just was so irritated for a while of how dumb it was that only 35 people could get into my class and, like all these mm -hmm. weird things. So I was like, you know what? Like you shouldn't have to take two and a half years of prereqs just so you can, you know, learn about how to work out and how to eat. It didn't make any sense to me. So I'm making just giant long videos for people who, who, who really want to either have a career in this that didn't get a chance to go to college or um, maybe didn't have a great experience in their college in this area or whatever the case may be. So those ones are probably not for your like, hey, I just want to know how much water to drink or something, people. Um, but maybe the five-minute ones are maybe up your alley there. So those are the best places um, to get content. And it's pretty much, uh, with all my social media and stuff, I kind of just stick to science performance stuff. And I could have maybe an occasional picture of my dog, Ghostface Killer, but that's about it. <laughs> I think that's amazing. And I think that the information you put out brings such awesome access to that kind of information to, like you said, people who may otherwise not be able to get into a classroom or learn that in a more formal sense. So thank you for putting all that out. Thank you for coming on and taking the time to share everything you did. Of course, there's a million other things we could have talked about, <laughs> uh, talked about based on all the other content and expertise you have, but we really, really appreciate you coming on. I warned you, if you only want to go 45 minutes, you're only going to get about two questions in. I so. know. And that's why we're going to have to have you back. I mean, that's just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> after you write your paper and after you finish, you know, the things that you got to do. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to distract you too much. Uh, it's all good. It just gives me a reason to not actually do what I have to do for my job. So that's fine. <laughs> right. Well, thank you so, so much, Andy. And I know we'll be in touch, but again, the work you do is incredible and the access that you're bringing everyone doing it for free. It's just very, very, very much appreciated. So thank you so much. And I hope that everyone goes and checks it out. And there we have it, yet another amazing guest on the Optimal Body Podcast. So now what we ask of you, if you loved any bit of that or resonated with it, go share it out, share it with a friend, share it on your social media, because you know there are more people out there that would resonate with it just the same. Also, subscribe, rate, review on your favorite podcast app so we know what you want to learn or other guests that you think we should bring on for you in the future. Keep tuning in to find your optimal body.